The book of Job is a profound meditation on the meaning of suffering. In it, Job raises one of the ultimate questions of human existence. If someone dies, will they live again? Most people hope the answer is yes. Christians confess with assurance that the answer is yes. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Think about that with us today on Groundwork. Stay tuned. From Words of Hope and Reframe Media, this is Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bass. And Scott, we finally come to the end of this 12-part uh, series on the Apostles' Creed. We've covered the section on God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and then Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, and all uh, his life from conception right. through uh, the coming again. And then finally, we've been looking at the section on the Holy Spirit, which includes uh, what we believe about the church and about forgiveness, and today, about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And it's important to note, and maybe it's obvious, but when we confess at the very end uh, of the creed here, the resurrection of the body, we're not talking about Jesus' resurrection. We already confessed that in part two of the Apostles' Creed. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. That's Jesus' resurrection. Now we're in the work uh, of the Holy Spirit in the era of the church. So when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, that's each of our bodies in what will be what many theologians have described as a grand, grand miracle to think that at the end, Everybody of every believer, every God-fearer who ever lived across thousands, and th we don't know how long it'll be by the time Jesus comes again, but it's already been thousands of years since Adam and Eve, uh, bodies that long since turned to dust, uh, bodies that were lost at sea, burned in fires, decomposed in a grave. God's going to somehow find a way to bring them all back together in a new resurrection form. We'll be talking about that in this program. It's staggering when you think about uh, what a miracle that's going to be. And actually, as we start to look at Scripture, we would acknowledge that in the Old Testament, this was not clearly no. expected. Right. This was not fully understood. God hadn't really revealed that yet, except we mentioned the book of Job, and that may be one of the later writings, actually, of the Old Testament, probably is. Uh, and we don't know anything really about the writer except that he was he or she was a person of profound genius. But in Job, there's tucked away in chapter 19 this wonderful testimony, which some of us uh, can't help but hear in the old King James Version as it comes from Handel's Messiah, where Job says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. It's a, a pointer toward resurrection, the resurrection of the body. And there are a few texts in Ezekiel and in Daniel and this one in Job, a few Old Testament whispers and intimations of what will be more fully taught in the New Testament after Jesus' body is resurrected as the first fruits. Uh, but this is definitely uh, an Old Testament sneak preview, yeah. if you will, of the idea that we might fall into decay. Worms will destroy our body. I was just saying that. You know, most people who have ever lived, there's probably not a skeleton left of many of them anymore. And yet we'll have a flesh, Job seems to say. We'll see God at the last day, 
but we won't be Casper the Friendly Ghost. Uh, we're going to have a real body. And by the way, I think even some of us Christians who know better, we sometimes also picture ourselves in heaven, if you will, as kind of wispy people who live on clouds. No, flesh and blood renewed, but real. We really can't overstress this point because frankly, most people in the world, if you took a poll of anyone and everyone, whatever their religion or no religion, they have an expectation of living forever. Uh, There are very few pure materialists who just think when you're dead, you're dead and that's it. There are some, but most people expect, no, we, we go on with some kind of spiritual existence. But the Christian hope is really rather different. Uh, We don't confess in the creed, I believe in the immortality of the soul and that we go to heaven when we die. We confess, no, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So we've actually dealt with that issue of going to heaven in another program. We're not denying that. But what we want to focus on is this is our true hope. Right. And it's a gift. You just said we, we do not believe in the immortality of the soul. There was a time when our souls never existed. God created each of us at some point. And we do not naturally continue on forever as human beings. We're finite. If we're given a new body that can live uh, in an everlasting way, that's a gift. Uh, That's a gift of God. And the natural question people ask is, what is that body going to be like? Or what exactly was Jesus' body like? We know that after the resurrection, when people took a good look at Jesus, they said, oh, it is Jesus. But they didn't always recognize him right off. And he could do some things in that body that he didn't do in his pre-resurrection body, like pop in and out of rooms and pass through locked doors. Paul talks about this, Dave, in 1 Corinthians 15, probably the landmark text in the whole New Testament, where Paul tackles this idea of bodily resurrection, because some in Corinth were influenced by the Greeks who were kind of anti-body. And so the idea that you might get your body back someday, the Greeks kind of thought, you, gross, we're looking forward to get rid of this prison house and let our souls feel free and fly free from the body. But Paul says, no, we're going to get a body back. And he talks about it extensively in that 15th chapter. Yeah. So Paul writes, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? That's exactly what we're talking about. How in the world can this work? And he goes on to use an analogy What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives it its own body. So what he's suggesting here, I mean, it's not a perfect analogy maybe, but you put a seed in the ground, what comes up is something quite different, but continuous with the seed. We're encouraged to think of the resurrection of the body as not necessarily a direct physical reordering of the same matter, which may have disappeared, but of continuity with change, really. I think I've told this story before uh, on a groundwork program, but years ago, uh, archaeologists, I think it was in Japan, uh, they found some ancient tomb of an emperor or a king, and and next to the body in this tomb uh, was a, a jar of seeds. Scientists looked at the seeds and they said, I wonder what kind of seed that is. What is this seed? And finally, somebody said, well, why don't you plant one? So they did. They planted it and it grew into this very rare, like seven-petaled chrysanthemum. You don't know what the seed's going to look like when it blooms until you plant it and let it bloom. And Paul says that's what our bodies are like now. They're recognizable as a body, but they're going to get planted and something else is going to come up. And then Paul uses an oxymoron there in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He says it'll be a psychical body. 
yeah. a spiritual body, which is sort of like saying, you know, jumbo shrimp or elementary algebra. Uh, it's two words that don't usually go together. There's spirit, there's body. And Paul says, well, they're going to be together. They're, it'll be a psychical body. And he uses a, a series of other terms here in this chapter. Uh, it'll be imperishable. It'll be glory. In, in other words, not subject to decay. It's not going to run downhill like our current bodies. It's going to be glorious. It's not going to be shameful or embarrassing. It's going to be powerful. All of these things that just sort of stagger our imagination. But this is the future for those who are in Christ. And Paul ends that great chapter with, listen, I tell you a mystery, a trumpet will sound and we will all be changed, whether we're alive at that time or whether we're dead. So thanks be to God for this wonderful truth. But what about then the life everlasting? What's that gonna be like? And we'll talk about that next. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Best, and we're talking in this last program on the Creed about the last two phrases in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So we talked, Scott, a little bit about the resurrection of the body and how unimaginable but uh, unimaginably glorious that will be. And now let's say a little bit about everlasting life or eternal life, or perhaps we should call it life of the world to come. Right. God alone is eternal. Eternal technically means extemporal. You're you're out of time. You always existed. There was never a time when you didn't exist. There could never be a time when you wouldn't exist. That's not technically true. We came. We each human being, you, Dave, I, we came into existence at some point. And were it not for God's grace, we would go out of existence, not just our bodies, but our souls too. By grace, God extends us, and everlastingness is something that applies to human beings. Once we are created by grace, we will ever last. We will, we will continue to last. So that's a technical distinction, but the truth is the Bible mixes up eternal life and everlasting life all the time, so we won't worry about it. They both mean the same thing. By grace, we're going to go on. And as we just established in the previous segment, Dave, not just as ghosts, but as newly embodied people in the new creation, in the kingdom uh, of God. And of course, the classical passages that address the nature of this eternal life or everlasting life are at the end of the book of Revelation, the climax of John's visions of heaven and of the end of this world uh, come when he sees a new heaven and a new earth, as he writes, for example, in Revelation 21, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And as we pointed out in a program uh, a while back here on Groundwork, it's significant to see there at the end of uh, that passage you just read from Revelation 21, Dave, God does not say, see, I'm making all new things, as though he's starting all over. He's saying, I'm making all things new. This creation, our bodies, um, mountains and streams and so forth, uh, God is making this creation new, not making a whole new creation. God has salvaged this creation from the destructive forces of evil and of of Satan himself. And our bodies are part of that. And uh, we will then live with God forever, uh, which is mind-boggling. It's hard for us to imagine. In those resurrected bodies, uh, we're going to go on and on uh, with God. God will dwell with us. We will dwell with God. Yeah. And again, it's probably proper to see by analogy that just as with our resurrected bodies, there'll be continuity but change. So with the new heavens and the new earth, a new earth, a new sun, a new moon, new stars, continuity but change in a way that perhaps we can't fully grasp. Nevertheless, this is all in God's plan. Interestingly, what especially defines John's description of it are the things that aren't there. Uh, he, he proceeds by way of negative, negatives, so there's no more sea, which of course is uh, deeply meaningful in the Hebrew mindset because the sea was the place of chaos, the, the sea was the, the birthplace of everything evil and wrong. In Just in terms of the book of Revelation, the beast of the Antichrist and the, the false prophet They all came out of the sea. So the fact that the sea is gone doesn't mean you won't get a nice uh, ocean view property. It just means that everything evil will be absent. Right. We don't want to take that. I mean, if you love snorkeling over coral reefs and seeing God's beauty in creation, it'll be renewed too. It's a symbol, right? That chaos, uh, the life-threatening thing about the ocean, no more night uh, doesn't mean we'll never see the stars again. It just means the bad things that go bump in the night uh, will no longer exist. They will be banished. It'll be all new. It's hard to imagine this, and and Paul knows that, and the New Testament knows that. Uh, So you think of a a line from 1 Corinthians 2, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, In other words, um, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, And and your best wishes, your fondest hopes for what life in God's new creation will look like are probably not wild enough. It's going to be glorious. Yeah. You know, people often ask, well, will my dog be there or or my cat or will there be animals? I, I think the best way to respond to that is, I don't know, but whatever it is that you love about your dog, the true reality will be in the new creation too. And uh, so go ahead if, if that is what you, what you long for or dream of. I, you know, Scott, I think one of my favorite descriptions, in a way it's poetic, But it's the way C.S. Lewis ends the final Narnia story, The Last Battle, as the children kind of pass through death into life. This is how he closed that story. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story— All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. 
Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I like that. And it it reminds me um, of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Dave often presents Jesus as the ultimate priest, the ultimate sacrifice, and says, you know, that everything that happened in the Old Testament and in Israel, uh, that was just a sneak preview. That was not the real thing. That was the preview. It seemed real, right? But what's really real is coming in Christ. Uh, And as Lewis says here, you almost can't describe it. And as real as this world is, as beautiful as it sometimes is, uh, it's just the title page. <laughs> uh, the real story begins uh, when we go into our, our Father's kingdom, or in this case, uh, the new Narnia, as Lewis imagined it. But that, that, that's a very, very lovely and stirring idea that uh, uh, our real stories um, might yet begin. It kind of reminds me of also something from the book of Revelation, this mysterious image that I first had my attention uh, called to it by Frederick Buechner, where we're told that God's going to give each of us a white stone hmm. and that's our real name. We're going to find out our real name only when we get to heaven. God alone knows it. This is the beginning of the real story. Well, there's one more thing we want to say about everlasting life, and we'll turn to that as we wrap up this program and this series. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit familyfire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Hosea along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork. The longest series I think we've ever done on Groundwork is this one, 12 parts on the Apostles' Creed, and this is the last program, the last segment, the last part of it, and we're uh, concluding it appropriately enough with the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, and amen uh, at the end of the creed, we might say. So we want to say that, you know, our hope for the life everlasting, it's more than just pie in the sky by and by, as the old uh, sneer sometimes goes. Um, the everlasting life of the kingdom is, is uh, as Paul put it in Romans, righteousness and joy and peace uh, in the Holy Spirit. It's not only a life day that's just going to go on and on and on. And sometimes, by the way, sometimes when you're children and maybe even when you're not a child, you know, you ever once in a while hear somebody say, boy, I hope it's not boring. I mean, is it just going to be like an endless worship service? I mean, oh, no. Uh, as we just saw that lyric quote from uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, this is the beginning of the story. It's going to be endlessly interesting because it's not just like we, we're going on and on and on and on, but it's also that we're going on and on in a world of shalom the world of delight and flourishing, the world where everything that has ever gone wrong will no longer be there, and everybody is going to be contributing to the life of everybody else, which sounds pretty wonderful. Yeah. I remember my beloved uh, professor of theology, Eugene Osterhaven, saying, well, I want to spend at least the first 100,000 years studying geology. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it'll be amazing. But Here's the thing about eternal life, especially in the fourth gospel, the fourth, the gospel of John. Uh, we often like to quote Dale Bruner, the great uh, commentator on Matthew and John. And Bruner points out that John has a whole separate word for eternal life or everlasting life. It's the Greek word zoe, uh, 
Mm. So bios means physical life, like biology, the right. science of life. But zoe isn't just life that uh, is unending. It's life that's real, that's deep. It's true life. It's real life. It's the kind of life we long for. It's what we mean when we when we say, "I I want to live." You know, I I need I, I want real life. And John is all about that. And especially in John five, Jesus says some amazing things about life. Jesus says, for as the Father has life in himself, that Zoe, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is a Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And then he goes on to say more, Dave. Right. So he's talking about the resurrection at the last uh, day, and we've uh, dealt with that already. The trumpet will sound, or here Jesus says, my voice will call out, and the dead in their graves will rise. But listen to this very interestingly. Just before that, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, Zoe, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And I think it's extremely important to notice the present tense here. Jesus says, right now, the dead are hearing my voice and they're living. So he's not talking about the physical dead at the last time. He's talking about a different kind of spiritual death and how people can come to have life right here and now, if they listen to him, if they hear his voice. And that brings us to another incident six chapters on in John's Gospel in John 11, the raising of Lazarus. And right before then, Jesus has the most famous, probably maybe the most powerful of all of his I am sayings in John's Gospel. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense again, I am the resurrection of the life. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. And, of course, he doesn't mean that our physical bodies, the bios life that we have, the bio, the biological life won't come to an end. But the moment that's done, the zoe will take right over. So you don't really die. Not spiritually. You wake up to the new reality uh, of a life that cannot be taken from you, which is sometimes why people point out that when when Christians who almost die, we say it's a near-death experience. And some of the Christians say it felt to me like a near-life experience because I saw Jesus on the other side. I didn't think I was dying. I thought I was coming alive. Yeah. We've passed already from death to life. We don't have to worry about the judgment because in responding to the voice of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, you know, come to me. We said that earlier in the last program. Something happens such that eternal life is now ours. It's not just something we get finally at the end when we die. You can have eternal life right here and now, and we do in Christ. It's a wonderful truth. And it is indeed a great, great, great gift of grace. Uh, And it is in some ways the crowning gift, Dave, which is probably why the Apostles' Creed ends here. We began with our belief in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We began with the original creation, and now we end the creed flash-forwarding to the new creation, when life everlasting will flood us. And then we end with that word, amen, which is a great standard of the Reformed tradition, one of the standard confessions. The Heidelberg Catechism says, why do we end, you know, 
know with, with amen. What's amen mean? And amen means this shall truly and surely be. Uh, amen uh, often means true. Yeah. Amen is a way of saying that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely going to happen. In fact, when Jesus says in those passages we read from John, very truly, I tell you, the way our translation uh, said it, what he literally said was, amen, amen, I tell you. You can count on this. You can bank on it. This is most certainly true because I'm telling you and I know what I'm talking about. So amen, we end the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen and amen. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Dave Bast with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to look at Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program. It's produced by Reframe Media in partnership with Words of Hope. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our studio relations manager is Christy Prince, and our content and managing producer is Courtney J.